Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, where we bring a Daffy Duck mindset to the Duck a la Orange Obsessed Podium of Formula One racing. I'm more of a Donald Duck guy myself. <laughs> My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, my favorite auto journalists and authors of Racing with Rich Energy, Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King. Hi. I just can't wait for someone to be like, you know what? Y'all kind of do sound like Daffy Duck. And dang it. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, we have very cartoonish voices for sure. This week, we're talking about the Indianapolis 500 and its history as a race on the F1 calendar, which I know Elizabeth is really excited about. I am so jazzed about this one. Like, this is one of my favorite fun facts about race car that I share with everyone. Uh, So (laughs) we get to do a whole episode on it today, and you get to hear me talk about it, which is going to be great. I'm excited for a different reason, and that's because I've been a bad F1 host last week and did not keep up with any sort of news at all. Not because there wasn't really (laughs) any news. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to dive into a world I know very little about. How was everybody's weekend? How was everybody's start to the week? I had an insanely busy weekend on Friday. I drove down to San Diego once again uh, to this time for my sister's uh, college graduation. San Diego State, great campus. Nice job down there, guys. Wonderfully done. Uh, And then I the next day um, drove back up to L.A., picked up a a U-Haul trailer, uh, loaded up the low WRX, and then... Yesterday morning, woke up at 4.50 to grab the car from the office and head out to Willow Springs Raceway. Jeremiah and I, we uh, we brought the high-low WRXs out to the track. Past gas, co-host Joe Weber was able to get a Civic SI from Honda and got Honda's blessing to track the SI at That's Willow so Springs, uh, which is pretty cool. Streets of Willow, not Big Willow. Yeah, had a fun day. It was pretty hot. So both the Subarus were kind of running pretty hot. We could only get one or two hot laps per session uh, because we just had to spend the rest of the laps cooling the cars down, which it sucked. It was not, that was not fun. 
that part sucked. So now I'm looking into like, okay, we already have big radiators in there. We've got like Cusco cooling components. We need some like heat extractors on the hood or something to help get the heat out of there because I want to try. I love the way that I, the Subarus drive. They just they're not convenient when it's hot out. Nolan, have you considered a large refrigerator? I have not. Mini fridge on the hood <laughs> will help. Yeah. No, but I've already looked into it. There's heat extractors that you can install yourself. Get a block off plate for the hood scoop. Oh, it's it's gonna happen. It's okay, gonna happen. you got this, Nolan. I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think I did anything this weekend. I don't really remember it. So, we're just rolling straight into the week. That's how we do. Here we go. <laughs> for a lot of motorsport fans here in America, May isn't just any old month. Instead, it's all about the buildup to the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. The Sunday before Memorial Day is a huge one overall in the motorsport world, with F1's Monaco Grand Prix, followed by the Indy 500, and then followed by NASCAR's Coca-Cola 600. Hell yeah. But this is a Formula One show, so if you're wondering why the Indy 500 is worthy of an entire episode, I have great news. Indy actually used to count toward the Formula One World Championship for the first 11 years of F1's existence. There you go. F1 related. It's, it, it counts. We could talk about it on the show. I don't watch Indy very often. I watch St. Pete because it's a season opener. <laughs> then right. I, I'll, I'll watch uh, Indy 500. Mm-hmm. And maybe Laguna Seca because that's now on the calendar, and I know where it is. That's you the know? big three. Yeah, for me, those yeah. those are kind of yeah. yeah those are pretty big. <laughs> I'm a real fan. Okay, so yes, you are. Nolan. You are super committed. You are always there, always watching. <laughs> Most folks have heard of the Indy 500, even if they've never watched it. And I think the race warrants a little bit of explanation. The first ever 500 was held in 1911. And has taken place almost every year since, with the exception of some breaks for the World Wars, one and two. The race has evolved over its 100-plus years of competition, and there are tons of wild stories from the history of the race. Like, for example, Jules Go, allegedly drinking multiple bottles of champagne throughout the race on his way for the win. Or the circuit being paved with that notoriously smooth surface, bricks. They did it with yeah. bricks. I think Elizabeth and I were both going to the Indy 500 this year, and someone has challenged us to go look for bricks in the creek by the track. Yeah. Because you can go to the creek by the track and look for, like, the old bricks. Is that why they dumped them there or something? When they took up all of the bricks, they straight up just dumped them into a river. Uh, and so every year in the in the fall and in the winter when the frost comes, it, like, pushes them up through the Ooh. earth so you can like it's like a never-ending supply you can just go pick it clean and then the next year there'll be more <laughs> you should definitely go you should definitely go f- try to get a brick and uh then br- you know tsa will be like why do you have why do you have a brick in your in your carry-on you probably can't actually bring a brick in your carry-on i'll bring boots you can, i bet you can check it you could you could check it but not carry so on. i pay 30 dollars for a brick i'll check yours in my bag Okay, thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so the Indianapolis Motor Speedway used to be fully bricks, and now it just has a line of them, right? Yeah. So, it was yeah, bricked so it's, up, <laughs> and it's no longer bricked up. <laughs> so it's called the Brickyard. It's only but, partially bricked up now. Yeah, only partially. And there, there was this really cool thing from a few years ago where they take like a track sample, and they just pave over the track a, a core bunch. sample yeah and so they'll pull out a sample and it will just have layers and layers and layers of the old track and it's really really cool 
But yeah, the only bricks you can see now are on the surface, on the start-finish line. And if you win the race, you usually kiss the bricks. Yeah, it's fun. The two-and-a-half-mile track became a focal point for automotive and motorsport development. And while it has primarily been an American affair, folks from around the world have competed in and won the race. It was also part of the World Manufacturers Championship between 1925 and 1928, which was an initial attempt at creating a form of sanctioned international racing that was never super successful. R.I.P. WMC. If you've ever looked up at like the big F1 stats pages on Wikipedia, you've probably seen some weird stuff. The United States somehow boasts the second highest number of F1 driver starts, even though we've only really recognized a handful of American F1 drivers. And the Indianapolis Motor Speedway played host to more driver fatalities than any other circuit. If your familiarity with F1 is just the road course of the 2000s, that's going to sound really weird, right? But all that comes down to the Indy 500's 11 years as a Grand Prix. We have a whole episode that talks about how the powers that be decide on the Formula One calendar, and that can give some more context on why this was a thing. But back in 1950, the first ever F1 calendar was assembled from a series of select events that had historically been important in racing. So that was why there were Grand Prix in Italy, Belgium, and Monaco, France. Those were all the really big ticket events. Uh, So everyone wanted to contest those, even before there was an F1 World Championship to win. So when you think about the biggest races in the world back in 1950, the Indy 500 was one of them. And if you wanted to have an international championship, you probably should have a race outside of Europe. Indy was actually like the only race that took place outside of Europe until the addition of Argentina in 1953. So like they had to kind of have that. Um, And, you know, it was a huge historic race with an awesome prize purse. Uh, We're talking millions of dollars today and back in the day about the same equivalent. The problem was that most world championship drivers decided to skip the Indy 500 during those 11 years. That honestly sounds like Formula One drivers today. They'd just be like, eh, nah, I don't want to do that. And they would skip it. No ovals. But I mean, the purse was really impressive. I think in the 1960s, first place was near $200,000. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) considering like... I think in Graham Hill's autobiography, he was saying that he was making like $50,000 a year uh, in the 50s and 60s as a Grand Prix driver. So, so yeah. So yeah. Graham Hill, the 1966 Indianapolis 500, Graham Hill won it. And he won $156,000 mm-hmm. just for that one race in 1966. I want to know what that is today. Ooh, I'm going to say over over a million dollars. I mean, do we think we're nearing two million? One and a quarter million dollars. All right, Elizabeth, what do you say? 1.5. 1.5 mil. All right, I'm going to go 1.9. I'm going to go way out there. Here we go. Calculate. Oh, 1.5. 1.5. Wow. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, I do Elizabeth this all the time. Wins. <laughs> Elizabeth wins. <laughs> wow. All right, so there are plenty of reasons why F1 drivers skipped the 500. On a really basic level, F1's open-wheel cars and America's open-wheel cars were very different. Uh, So any F1 driver looking to compete in the 500 would drive a totally different car uh, for that one event, and they probably wouldn't be very used to it. Although, (laughs) I think, I mean, drivers back then were so versatile in what they did. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they'd be in F1 cars one weekend, then sports cars the next, and then maybe even like a motorcycle. Also, 
Indy was sanctioned by a totally different entity than F1, so the procedures, rules, and points for that race were massively different as well. There was also the timing. So today, the Monaco Grand Prix and Indy 500 run on the same day. It's super fun. Monaco runs first, then the Indy 500 happens. But that wasn't always the case in the past. Monaco wasn't even part of the F1 calendar between 1951 and 1954. But the Grand Prix only conflicted with Indy one single time in the decade of the 500's inclusion in the race. Monaco usually took place earlier in May, but there was still a problem. We mentioned it at the top of the show, but the 500 takes place at the end of what we call the month of May. And that name is derived from the fact that the whole entire month of May used to be dedicated to practice and qualifying for Indy. The track opened for testing on May 1st, and if you were running in an oval car for the first time, there was a good chance you wanted to be there right away to come to grips with the circuit. And if you were a rookie, which you still have to do today, you had to undergo a strenuous rookie orientation to prove that you could handle a car at speed. At Indy, qualifying you... Back in the day, used to take place over several weekends, and the weekend you qualified was honestly more important than the time you set while you were qualifying. The folks who qualified on the first weekend were given precedence over the ones who qualified the following weekend by being given the best places in the first few rows of the grid. If you only qualified on the second weekend, you were guaranteed a midfield or worse starting spot, even if you technically set a faster time than the pole sitter. So let's say you're a Formula One driver and you want to compete in the Indy 500. You're going to have to make a tough call. Either you turn up to, say, the Monaco Grand Prix and miss out on the prime qualifying time at Indianapolis, or you skip the good qualifying session and focus on Monaco, hoping you'll be able to learn the nuance of oval racing while mired in the midfield. Not really a super easy call. Uh, Plus, there was also travel logistics, which used to be complex. Today, it'd be pretty easy to get a flight from Monaco to Indy with only one or two layovers, and you could get from one place to the other relatively quickly. Back in the 50s, there were way fewer flight plans and fewer flights in general, so there was no way your journey would be a speedy one unless you had a private plane. In the 11 years of the 500 being an F1 race, only one F1 driver started the Indy 500, and that was Alberto Ascari. In 1952, he skipped F1 season opening Swiss Grand Prix to qualify for Indianapolis, but his race ended after his wheel collapsed 40 laps into the race. That is terrifying. Yes, it is. Uh, (laughs) After that, in 1958, Juan Manuel Fangio showed up at Indy, and a lot of people were really stoked at the thought that he might compete in the race, but it did not happen. Fangio tested a car in early May, but he struggled to find the necessary speed to be competitive. He withdrew from the event well before qualifying. Wow. I tell you, like, there was a lot of death and stuff back in the day, but a lot of people could just kind of show up and try. <laughs> and then just be like, yeah, nah, this ain't gonna work for me. Not my thing, not my vibe. See you guys later. <laughs> One of the most fascinating parts of the whole Indy 500 and F1 crossover is the fact that almost as soon as F1 decided Indy no longer counted as a Grand Prix, we started seeing F1 teams and drivers building 500 specific vehicles and trying to win the event. They didn't want to do it when they were Uh supposed to do it. And then as soon as they weren't supposed to do it anymore, here they are. That came down to the fact that the tides of F1 manufacturing really started to change in the 60s. In the first years of the sport, you basically just had big continental European powerhouses like Ferrari, Mercedes, and Alfa Romeo competing with impressive, well-funded, and F1-specific programs. 
It was by no means as big an operation as it is today, but we're still talking about these teams having specific facilities or team members dedicated to motorsport. But as the 50s wound down and the 60s kicked off, a whole new style of manufacturer got involved. I was waiting for this part. The garagiste. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Garagiste was a fairly derogatory term given to the down-home British or Australian or New Zealand teams that were throwing together F1 cars on shoestring budgets in whatever facilities they could rent for cheap. Things like woodsheds or rented garages. Yeah. For people like Enzo Ferrari, who took a lot of pride in building powerful, sleek racing machines, the presence of these garagistes was almost offensive. These (laughs) scrappy little outfits were killing the prestige of F1. Even though... In the er- his early career, he wasn't exactly rolling in a huge facility. No, you but know, he's, he earned called, the right to be a dick about it later. Yeah, that's <laughs> called pulling the ladder up behind you, Enzo. Not cool. Not cool. I feel like Enzo would be offended by a lot of people being around him, like me. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Th- <laughs> I don't think Enzo Ferrari would like you. <laughs> <laughs> You don't think Enzo Ferrari would like me, Nolan? No, he'd be like, you're at some Ferrari event trying to get, uh, I don't know, uh, Nikki Lauda to like do a cartwheel or whatever. And, and he's like, uh, who is this, this, this Texan woman? That's what everybody does anyway, Nolan. I do not like the, the Texans. That's, yeah. That's exactly it, Nolan. That's what everybody does anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I am an Indianapolis Colts fan. Uh, oh, no. Back to these small, offensive British teams. Um, they had something that the Continental teams lacked. They had creativity. You know, Enzo Ferrari, he doesn't want you doing cartwheels. He doesn't want you being creative. Um, he was Colin focused. Chapman. Colin Chapman uh, wouldn't mm-hmm. let you do that cartwheel. Yeah, Colin Chapman would have been all over it. Enzo Ferrari, no, 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 no. So Enzo was focused on. <laughs> so Enzo was focused on building the most powerful engines in the world, while these new British designers were finding creative ways to build a car on a budget, which meant trying to build new materials, experimenting with aerodynamics, and completely transforming the way the cars were built. These garagistes. They weren't content to just hang around on the European circuits like the Continental teams. They were interested in taking over the world. Mm. And that meant trying to win the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. So in 1961, that very first year that Indy was no longer an F1 race, in 1961, the then two-time F1 world champion Jack Brabham made waves when he entered a Cooper with a Coventry Climax engine. This was one of those Giragiste machines that Enzo Ferrari absolutely hated, and it sharply (laughs) contrasted with the Roadsters that competed at Indy. The Cooper wasn't the first rear-engine car to enter Indy, but it was the most important. Basically, a Roadster was the name given to the big, heavy, front-engine cars that were still popular in American open-wheel racing, but had long since gone out of vogue in Europe in favor of lighter, lower-slung cars with engines mounted in the rear, or technically the, the the mid, not the rear, because yeah. they're in front of the rear, rear axle. Mid-rear. Yeah. Brabham's Cooper was exactly one of those newer-style cars, and his arrival came with a lot of skepticism about how it would actually hold up on the banked ovals of Indianapolis. The answer was, it did pretty damn good. Brabham finished in ninth place out of 33 starters. He was the second-best-place rookie. He finished on the lead lap, and he was the only non-American at the race, and he had an engine that was less powerful than the competition. 
But that lower-slung, lighter-body style handled supremely well, and Brabham's success inspired another British manufacturer to get involved in the race. One, Colin Chapman. So Chapman was the legendary founder of Lotus, both the race car team and the road cars. And after finding his bearings in F1, Chapman decided that he wanted to expand on Brabham's lessons. In 1963, Chapman brought a low-slung Lotus to Indy for driver Jim Clark, who finished second in his rookie year. That was his first time there. He took pole the following year, and he won the event overall in 1965 after leading 190 of the event's 200 laps. The Indy 500 may not have counted toward the F1 championship at the time, but F1 drivers and manufacturers completely revolutionized the race. Within five years of Brabham's Cooper entry, the Roadsters were almost completely phased out. Only one front-engine car qualified for the race in 1966. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. As motorsport has progressed over the years, we've seen a handful of former F1 drivers take on the Indy 500, but most of those drivers weren't actually active in F1 at the same time that they were racing in Indy. That's in part because the F1 calendar has added way more venues than it ever had in the 50s and 60s, and in part because a lot of racing contracts got more exclusive, meaning that opportunities for crossover dried up. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. The F1 calendar is super long now. Like, we have more venues, and also the racing contracts... They're not only exclusive, but a lot of them have like injury clauses. They're like, we Mm -hmm. don't want you doing stuff that could get you hurt. Yeah, Yeah, except for cycling for whatever reason. (laughs) 
you've heard me bring it up before, <laughs> but I'm, t- I'm, I'm bringing it up again. Stop riding bicycles before a race. I want a one month. Uh, if I'm if I'm a F1 driver or F1 <laughs> owner, no bikes for a month before the season starts. No bikes during the race unless you're on your Peloton. Okay. Anyway, factors like this. Okay, are why it was such a big deal when Fernando Alonso, then an active F1 driver, decided to forego the Monaco Grand Prix in favor of competing in the 2017 Indy 500. As a McLaren driver at the time, Alonso's opportunity was paved by team CEO Zach Brown, who wanted to bring the McLaren name to one of the biggest races in the world. His debut was fairly promising that year, though his engine did fail with 21 laps to go, but it was enough to encourage him to come back for what turned out to be a disaster in 2019. He failed to qualify for the race that year for a lot of embarrassing reasons. Uh, The orange paint on the car wasn't quite papaya enough, which led to significant delays. They had to repaint the car. Uh, Mm -hmm. A crash in practice. What a stupid reason. Uh, A crash (laughs) in practice meant Alonzo's car was scrambled back together for qualifying, and his engineers somehow screwed up the conversions between America's imperial measurement system and the metric system. I think we mentioned this like last week or two episodes ago. The car was basically undrivable because Mm -hmm. uh, all the adjustments were totally wrong, and it drove like a pig. Yeah, I mean, it was a mess, and it was really sad because when Fernando competed in the Indy 500 in 2017, he ran fourth for a lot of the race. Mm -hmm. He was up there doing really well. All of us were super crushed when the engine gave out. The McLaren Honda days were really fresh at that point, and when that engine gave out in the Indy 500, it was like a collective deflation of hopes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we had seen happen to Fernando Alonso so many times in the McLaren Honda days. Like those engines just expired constantly. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just so sad <laughs> because it looked like he had a chance to win this race. And then he comes back in 2019 and it's an absolute disaster. He doesn't even make it. It was really sad. The, I was there in 2017. Uh, I went for the entire month of May because it, it was my 21st birthday during that time. Oh, so sick. I had a great time aside from when Fernando died. Uh, I had t-shirts. <laughs> I had t-shirts made up. I had Indy 500 rookie Fernando Alonso t-shirts. I've made a banner for him. I was like so ready. And then 21 laps to go. Guess who got her wine bag out and started drinking? <laughs> it was me. I really like, I remember watching this and seeing that engine go and just being like, oh. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, no way. I, I can remember where I was. I was in the <laughs> the infield grandstand by the pit lane, section 69. I fell to my knees <laughs> like I was heartbroken. Oh, that's so awful. So it, it wasn't the most impressive uh, cherry on top of F1's influence in the Indy 500. But the American race remains a linchpin of international motorsports. If you've never tuned in before... This is a good year to do it. You might as well watch. Elizabeth and I are going to be there. Look mm-hmm. for us on TV. Like, tune in. It's interesting. I've been watching the past couple of years. I think in 2020, I started watching the 500 like every year. Uh, mm-hmm. Loved watching Elio Castroneves' win yes. a couple of years ago where he did like a mm-hmm. victory walk all the way down the stands. It was incredible. It's amazing how in these longer races, it can still come down to the last lap. Um, mm-hmm. which I love. I love it so much. It can. And basically I do this story for Road and Track where I ask a driver, 
think of a split second moment in your career, like a pass, a win, a crash, anything, and break it down for me in extreme detail. And Alexander Rossi wanted to talk about the Indy 500 win. He was leading this race and he was on fuel strategy. And on the last lap, he runs out of fuel. His car shuts off and he has to coast around the track in the lead with the second place car closing in on him at crazy speed. So you're watching the intervals on the broadcast. And I highly recommend. I got to watch this again. Go go on YouTube. Look up 2016 Alexander Rossi Indy 500 win. Watch the final laps. Okay. And he was telling me that he could hear everything because his engine had shut off. So oh, there was no that's there nuts. was no drowning out of the audience. So his car is completely quiet. He can hear all of the screams. He can hear all of the anguish. Like, you know, you're just going straight to the line. Whatever happens, yeah. happens. And he can hear everything. And as he crosses the line, he just hears the roar of the crowd, <laughs> which you would never hear with your car on. Yeah. I had never heard this side of it before. And everybody online was like, we had never heard this side of it before. Like, we had no idea how vivid this was for him. Mm -hmm. It's super cool. He still won the race. Just barely. Wild finish. The first American rookie to win in decades. Um, Yes. One of the first rookies to win in, I think, like 20 years. Um, Yeah. Oh, that was the first Indy 500 I ever went to. It was the 100th running of the race. Uh, My friend Remy was there with me, and Remy is a massive Rossi fan. Yes, Remy is a huge Rossi fan. (laughs) Yeah, there are some Victory Circle photos where, like, we booked it over to Victory Circle, and they got in the photo with Rossi. It was so much fun. I, like, still have chills when I think about that finish. Like, that that one hooked me. So I've I've been going every year since. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think... For DRS listeners this year, it's your homework. You gotta watch. You gotta watch the Indy 500. If you've never watched, if you if you've never watched it, uh, take it from me. It's definitely worth watching. It's always exciting. Uh, just an amazing day. And also, like, make it a make a whole day. You watch Monaco in the morning, then you watch Indy in the afternoon, and then maybe you watch the Coke 600 and the five million commercials that aired during that race. Oh uh, gosh! And just make oh. make a day out of it. Treat yourself. Uh, and if you watch the Indy 500 for the first time. Tag us on social media. Let us yeah, know. I tell, know. Show us, show us your yeah. setups. Tell us about it. Send us an email. Yeah, all that stuff. So that's May 28th. That's in two weeks. It's coming up. But uh, this weekend, though, we're back to F1. <laughs> it's the Imola Grand Prix. Lace up those tennis shoes. Get that step count app going. It's time for our track walk. Imola, or the Autodromo Internazionale Enzo e Dino Ferrari, first had its foundation late in 1950, though racing didn't begin until 1953. The first non-championship F1 race took place in 1963, but because of politics with Monza, it didn't hold an Italian Grand Prix until 1980. From the following year, 1981, Imola and Monza worked in harmony, and Imola hosted 27 Grand Prix until 2006, And then it returned in 2020 when everyone was very desperate to get another race on the calendar because of COVID. The 63-lap race at the 3.05-mile track is a favorite for drivers, running anti-clockwise and with plenty of iconic corners. Do we have thoughts? Do we have feelings? What do we like about what do we like about Imola? I've loved Imola ever since I got to drive it in a Seto Corsa 10 years ago for the first time, (laughs) however long ago that was. I don't know now. I've always loved this track. It's so cool. Though, I will say, I'm not sure that the racing in this current era of Formula One has been very exciting at the track. 
there are a lot of great historic races and a lot of great historic moments. If you have F1 TV, go back and watch some of the races that took place in the 1980s. Uh, especially 1982. I just watched the documentary Villeneuve versus Peroni, which you can't actually watch here in America unless you have a VPN. The whole story of that basically hinges on the the race at Imola that year. Um, it's good. Just go watch it. Rewatch that. I think layout wise, it's one of the coolest tracks on the calendar. Um, I would love to drive it in real life someday. That'd be amazing. Yeah, definitely one of my bucket list tracks. This whole F1 season, I don't really have specific thoughts going into the races about the competition because I think we know what's going to happen in the competition I'm just like I'm just chilling I'm waiting to see if something interesting happens you know I'm waiting to see if somebody blows an engine or something happens we know what's going to happen from a competition standpoint so I'm just I'm waiting to see what's going to change about that yeah maybe the ghosts of Ferrari's (laughs) drivers or Enzo (laughs) Ferrari himself uh help Ferrari this year. The ghost of Ayrton Senna. Yeah. Um, We'll we'll see. I mean, something's got to happen. I'm excited. Something's got to happen. I'm never mad when it's a race weekend, you know? Never. Even if uh, the race ends up being not super interesting. At least we got to see it. Yes. Enjoy the race this weekend, guys. We got one more thing to do, though, before we go. It's Boyfriend of the Week. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Yes, Boyfriend of the Week is our recurrent segment where we acknowledge who's the best, who are we into. It can be anybody, it can be driver, car, team lead, someone online. Who's good enough to be our boyfriend? Remember, it's middle school rules, so it's just for this week. I want to lead off Boyfriend of the Week this week because I have a great one. Uh, I was in San Diego, as I mentioned. You know, Me and my sisters went out to North Park, San Diego uh, to celebrate the graduation a lot of friends hanging out. Uh, we decided we went to this uh, club called The Office uh, in North Park. Ooh. I'm sitting there uh, enjoying my my White Claw Acai Berry. Great flavor, by the way. <laughs> Probably my new favorite White Claw flavor, to be honest. Very, it's lovely. But I'm looking up and I'm watching uh, on the TV. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not just any film. That's the the... 1970s racing classic that's grand prix this is the monaco the opening monaco scene where the guy the guy's gonna crash into the ocean i know this movie i've used i've used clips from this in in my videos before uh and i'm like that's pretty cool that they're playing this at the club while the everyone's dancing but there's freaking grand prix on the tv i turn my head yeah i was like that's awesome that's cool i'm like pretty buzzed i'm like yeah this is this is rad I turn my head, and what do I see? Another TV playing another, 19, <laughs> another 1970s racing classic. It's Le Mans, starring <laughs> Steve McQueen, and, and it's the opening scene there. And I'm like, there are two racing movies in the club right now. <laughs> in the club. Someone turned up. Yeah, I was, I was stoked. I don't know if anybody else at the club noticed. 
Um, <laughs> but I was I was very happy. So shout out to the office in San Diego. Uh, pretty reasonably priced drinks too. So good job. Anyway, that's my boyfriend. <laughs> that's of the week. incredible, Nolan. That's a good one. Wow, I loved when you you sent us that in our group chat. Yeah. And all of us were like, "What?" I was almost crying in the club out of happiness. <laughs> I think that's really special when you almost cry in the club. Yeah. Why am I crying in the club right now? <laughs> Grand Prix. <laughs> because Grand Prix is on the TV. Incredible. Elizabeth, do you have one or should I go? I've got a boyfriend of the week. And in honor in honor of the Indy 500, I am picking Marco Andretti as my boyfriend of the week. Marco Andretti has me blocked on Twitter because one time I tweeted, imagine being Marco Andretti. And I guess he didn't think that was as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> but his team... For this race is Andretti Herda Autosport, excuse me, Andretti Herda Autosport with Marco Andretti and Curb Egajanian. So he, this man did the full like Mark Jacobs meme of like Jacobs by Mark Jacobs presented yes. by Mark Jacobs, but it's just <laughs> Marco Andretti. I love it. Uh, I'm not going to ask him to unblock me on Twitter. I definitely deserved it, even though I don't think <laughs> I did, but I've said other things about Marco that deserve to be blocked for, so it's fine. <laughs> Elizabeth's. Elizabeth said the other day that if you say Marco Andretti three times, he'll show up. And it's so true Mm -hmm. because if you tag Marco Andretti on Instagram, he will like your Instagram message. At least Mm -hmm. me. I don't know. I tagged him on Instagram once. (laughs) No, I tagged him on Instagram once. And within like 10 seconds, this man like liked my Instagram message. He might have responded. I don't know. And I was like, dude, that's impressive. Like that's that's cute. Yeah. But, you know, Elizabeth would never know because she's blocked. Um, That's fine. Oh, I can't believe neither of you said this. My boyfriend of the week is the TikTok account, Very Dirty Air, who redid the Miami Grand Prix driver introduction. And this is my boyfriend of the week this week because I haven't stopped thinking about it. And let me give you a couple of them. Uh, It's the man who we keep calling a Viking, despite the fact that they would have absolutely slaughtered him, Kevin Magnuson. So true. That's a great introduction. Um, Hold on. Please tell me you're going to do the Charles Leclerc one. I am. I am. (laughs) He fought for the championship in 2022. Insofar as all the drivers technically fought for the championship, Charles Leclerc. (laughs) Because that is literally when they introduced Charles Leclerc and they were like, he fought for the championship in 2022. I was like... (laughs) I mean, technically, and yeah, it was for so like true. Four races, <laughs> it was so true. Um, so this TikTok account, very dirty air. Um, they they go through a lot of the drivers. They talk about prison and all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of fun facts in there. Highly recommend you go watch that video. Uh, it's very viral, super fun. Boyfriend of the week. Nice, excellent. All right. So before we go, I I had some business I wanted to attend to at the top of the show. This is it. A guy named Drew on Instagram hit me up in response to last week's uh, discussion about maybe drivers taking themselves too seriously. You know, the the pre-race introduction thing that we just talked about. Yes. He had a response to us. He said, DRS response to F1 drivers taking themselves too seriously. It is entertainment that they can die in. Two really high-profile drivers, Breen and Block, died in the last three months. Right before a race, they are actually having to focus. I'm not saying it shouldn't be fun. But to say the drivers need to be checked because it's entertainment is a lame take. Let them race silly boats a few days before, but 20 minutes before, let them focus. I take my life pretty seriously as well. Watch the Grosjean crash again 
and then say they take themselves too seriously. I love your guys' content and takes, but this one wasn't your best. And you know what? I think Drew is right. I didn't really consider that during the recording of the show. Maybe I got a little too heated. <laughs> you know what? That is a really good point. Um, they're going really fast out there. Uh, and yeah, like these crashes can be very serious. And I under, yeah, getting them out of the zone like they're used to, uh, you know, these guys are on the paddock. Usually they got their earbuds in, they got their headphones on, they're focusing, they're listening to who got God knows what trying to prepare for the race. I still think the driver introduction thing is a cool idea because I, I listened back to the episode and was reminded about how funny it was and like how much value it gives the fans. But I, you know what, Drew, I, I agree with your assessment. I think there needs to be a better kind of compromise. Maybe do the intros like further before the race and then let the drivers get in their zone. I think Liz, you mentioned that in the episode as well. So Miami Grand Prix. When IndyCar does the driver intros, they do it pretty well in advance of the race. So yeah. I think driver intros are great. And it does still then give the drivers time to like decompress and get into the zone, which I think like that's honestly, it's, it's not asking too much. Uh, the You might as well do it when the drivers do their parade lap around the track. Get rid of the parade lap. Get rid of the lap. Yeah, there's no one needs that. Just do the driver intros and then give yes. them like an hour to get ready. No, I was just saying, yeah, I mean, that is pretty normal in other racing series. I think we were more on the lines of take yourself less seriously in like just smile, maybe like you don't really have to be out of the zone to smile and wave. You don't even have to listen to LL Cool J to walk out and be like, hi, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like You could leave your headphones in and do all of that. But no, this is a serious sport. You're so right, Drew. Um yeah, it was just kind of weird that they all looked mad. I think you can stay in the zone without looking mad. Yeah. So if you have any more similar feedback to that, you know, uh, I would call that a fair criticism. Thank you, Drew. Uh, hit us up at Thank you, Drew. Donut Racing Show at donutmedia.com, and we'll probably, hopefully, read your email on the air. I do love a little bit of uh, business like that. Uh, discussion. A dialogue. Discussion. Between yeah. us We're opening and up you. the dialogue. We love it. We're chatting. So there you go. And that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you all for listening to the Donut Racing Show. We'll be back next week to talk about the Imola Grand Prix. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe and tell all of your friends to tune into the Donut Racing Show. If you want to leave us a kindly worded review or email us, we would love to hear from you. If you're not familiar with Donut Media, we have a YouTube channel. It's called Donut. We drop the media. It's just Donut. We've called it Donut, donut. internally. We've called ourselves Donut for years. All the merch says donut. It's not that big a deal that it doesn't, it's not called Donut Media anymore. It's still donut. <laughs> uh, yeah, check us out. Uh, we also have an automotive history show called Past Gas. Definitely check that out. Uh, follow DRS on Twitter at Donut Racing Show and email us at donutracingshow.com slash donutmedia.com. Follow Alanis on Twitter and Instagram at Alanis N. King. Follow Liz at Eliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter and Eliza Blackstock on IG. Uh, you can keep up with all the, the comings and goings of cats. Yes, <laughs> that's so true. Uh, and follow me at Nolan J. Sykes on both. And uh, you know what? We'll see you next time. Bye.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.